Wow, what a delight it is to be here with you this morning. Uh, Phil told me that the first service was going to be a ghost town. He, I, I was surprised. Phil, it was great. Good, good turnout. Uh, oh, is that what it was? Is that what it was? Okay. Well, I thought that would keep them away. But, man, it is so good. Um, it's such a delight to be able to be here with Kevin and Amelia and their kids. <coughs> um, Kevin is part of our worship team there on the desert. Like I said, he, his main ministry for our worship team is a to be a drummer because he's a professional drummer. I mean that literally. He is a professional drummer. He, um, so we are delighted. But as you can see, he is a multi-talented professional drummer. Isn't that not right? And then his son. Boy, has he taught him well. Hey, look at this. Is this the throne? Oh, man. You sit on this all the time? Only the older preacher. <laughs> uh, I had a few I was going to tell on you this morning. I, I, I decided not to do that, but now maybe I ought to do that, Phil. Uh, so, well, it is good. Um, take, your, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the, um, uh, to the Gospel of Luke, if you will, this morning with me. You know, I, I'm looking for my notes, and I, I don't know what happened to them. I, I know that they're here somewhere, but I think we can uh, get by without them. And, but, hey, uh, who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. But it is uh, such a delight to have you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. I'd like you to step in with me, if you will, in the passage here starting actually in verse 23. And Jesus has been um, ministering. He has been in a time of prayer. He had asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter responded so well and said that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now Jesus, in a time of prayer, Turns to the people that are with him, and starting in verse 23, says this, and he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake is the one who will save it. For what has a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Would you move on down to the end of the chapter, down to verse 57. Jesus has left that area. He is now going along a road, it says in verse 57. 
And it says, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he said, permit me to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at my home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Father, I would pray this morning that as we open up your word, I would ask of you by the power of your Holy Spirit to take the word of God and minister it to the hearts of your people who are here. Father, I would pray that you would open their ears, open their hearts, open their minds, open their wills to receive the truth of your word. This is your word, Father. This is what you have given to us. This is not the words of men. It is your word. We receive it as such. And so I pray. I pray that you will open up our hearts. Do the work in each one of us this morning that you know needs to be done. I pray for those who need to be encouraged. Lift their hearts up, O oh God. Lift their hearts up. I pray for those that need to be convicted. Oh, may the Holy Spirit do what he specializes in, to do the work of conviction. And I would pray, Father, for any who may be in this room this morning who are apart from Jesus Christ, they are not a disciple. I would pray, oh God, I would pray, powerfully, powerfully by your spirit, draw them, draw them unto yourself, because we know that the Father is the one that draws men unto himself. And so we come and we ask this. Oh, meet with us here. Meet with us here. In the power of your Holy Spirit, we would pray. And all God's people say Amen. You may be just, you may be seated. <clears throat> I want you to know that this message this morning is by request. No, it's not because of a 50s station that you call in and make requests. When I grew up, that's what we used to do. Uh, come on, admit some of you are old enough to remember request stations. I know you are. Phil is. Uh, he probably called in a few times for Carolyn to play the song for Carolyn. But, uh, uh, but no, it wasn't from a, a radio station that this comes as a request. But it actually comes from Deborah, Sean's wife, and the uh, son, daughter and son-in-law, or daughter actually of Carol, Phil and Carol. Uh, Deborah was down at our church in the month of May, doing a women's conference. And she happened to be there the Sunday and sat in on the message that I preached, and it was this message. I've made some modifications this morning, 
But it was this message that I preached when she was there, and she said to me, she said, Ron, if you ever come to Valley, would you please bring that message? Well, if you don't like it, blame her. Uh, but uh, I trust that this is the, the message that, that God would have for you because obviously he laid it upon her heart to do that. Now, before I get into this message, I, I just want to say that I have a very, very, very special friend here with me this today, and it's my wife. She's been my wife for 53 years, and we are blessed, and we are so grateful. And wherever I go, she goes, and um, she puts up with me, but we have a wonderful, wonderful relationship and have loved one another and continue to love one another more deeply every day, and that's only by the grace of God. It's only because of the Word of God. It's only because of the Spirit of God. It's not because of us and any particular thing within us. And I will say to you today that are here, that are married, hey, hang in. Hang in, because God is great. God is powerful. His word is powerful, as I hope I will bring to you even this morning. So without further ado, I want you to come with me into this uh, particular passage. And as I come, I, I want you to understand that discipleship, discipleship is not a call into a program. Oh, yes, we have discipleship programs, and I'm not against a program. But when Jesus called men unto himself and women who came as a result of that, he did not call them into a program. He called them into a relationship. Discipleship is a relationship. It is entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope that that comes across loud and clear this morning as I open up the word of God to you. When I was just mentioning that discipleship is not a call into a program, but rather a relationship, David Platt, in his excellent book, Follow Me, I think he touches the nail right on the head. He hits the nerve of what's going on in America today. And he says this, could it be because so many people in church have settled for superficial religion instead of supernatural regeneration? Wow, what a statement. Is it possible that in, a, in churches across America today that people have settled for a superficiality of, and a religiosity rather than a relationship that comes as a result of the, the regenerating work of God? He goes on to say, if Christianity merely consists of a list of dutiful do's and don'ts, on top of principles to believe and practices to observe, many of which are similar to every other religion, that's an interesting statement, many of which are similar to every other religion, 
then we don't have much to share with this world. Wow. What a statement. He moves on. He says this. If being a Christian is merely a matter of superficial religion, then no amount of persuasion will convince us that we need to step out of our comfort zone after um, alter our priorities, sacrifice our possessions, risk our reputation, and potentially even lose our lives to share Jesus Christ with others. Ah, oh, he goes on, for people whose hearts, minds, and will, and relationship have been radically turned upside down by the person of Jesus Christ, the purpose of Christ will reign, will reign supreme. And then he tops off this whole statement that he makes, and he says this, if you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be supernaturally compelled to make disciples of Jesus. Did you get that? If you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be supernaturally compelled to make disciples of Jesus. True followers of Jesus do not need to be convinced, cudgeled, persuaded, or manipulated into making disciples of all the nations. Everyone who follows Jesus biblically will fish for ungodly people. Wow. He hit the nail right on the head. He has stated clearly uh, the, the, the very issue of discipleship. Now, I, I want to I move very quickly as we work our way through this message this morning. Uh, first of all, I want to I talk about uh, what a disciple is. And I, I just really want to deal with uh, a definition of discipleship. A definition of discipleship. And basically, a disciple is this. A disciple or the, is, comes from the Greek word mothetes. Mothetes. I'm not asking you to remember that. Hey, no, I'm not. But I would like you to understand that the word mothetes has been defined such as a learner or as a student. And those are good definitions. A disciple has been stated to be one who is a learner, one who is a student. But I found out that as I studied this, that one Greek source says that the word mathetes denotes a person who directs his mind to something. And what's so interesting is that it is actually a word that refers to an apprentice about that. A disciple is one who directs his mind to something such as an apprentice would set their mind to whatever they are trying to learn and the trade they are trying to develop. I worked as an apprentice in the grocery business for many years as I was growing up. Started out as a box boy, and I ran out, got the, the carts, and I bagged groceries, and then I moved on up into an apprenticeship, 
within the retail clerks in the grocery business and went all the way through an apprenticeship. So I understand an apprenticeship well. Some of you understand apprenticeship well because you've worked under apprenticeships. And you realize that an apprentice is one who sets their mind to learn something from someone else that will teach them and train them and guide them and instill within them the skills of the trade. That's an apprentice. Am I right on that? Exactly. So an apprentice, I don't miss this, an apprentice in a very real sense is one who is following, one who is learning by following. That's why I firmly believe that the word mathetes, disciple, as it is used in the New Testament, is one that can be called a follower, one who sets their mind to understanding and following the one that is wanting to teach them. That, beloved, is a true disciple. Now we see this as we walk our way through uh, Scripture. And... Um, we, we find that a, a, a disciple is really one who is, is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. An absolute committed follower of Jesus Christ. That is a disciple. Let's not miss that. A disciple then is committed to follow Christ. He is not a flexitarian. Now, that's a brand new word in our English language. Did you know that? Any of you know what a flexitarian is? It's brand new. It's just come into our, into our language. A flexitarian comes out of those that are, are vegetarians. And a flexitarian is one who is absolutely committed to being a vegetarian unless there's meat available. <laughs> a vegetarian who is absolutely committed unless there's meat available. Now, I use that as an illustration because I want you to know that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he is saying that I want you to be absolutely a committed follower. No flexitarians allowed. I'm calling you to follow absolutely. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to a couple passages to I want you to see how Jesus used this particular uh, idea of being a follower, a committed follower. Go to, to Matthew's Gospel and look at chapter 4. Step in there with me in verse 17. And Jesus is now beginning to call various men unto himself to be his disciples. He says in Matthew chapter 4, pick up with verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were 
fishermen. Please notice that. They were fishermen. And he said unto them, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and they followed him. Please notice, immediately they followed. They left to follow. But going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, and the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, and Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. What do you suppose he said to them? Mark tells us he said the same thing that he said earlier, and that is, follow me. Follow me. And it goes, and it says, and they immediately left the, the boat and their father, and they followed him. Follow. A disciple is one who follows. Also, go over to Mark's gospel. This is talking about Levi, Matthew, as we know him. Mark chapter 2, verse 14, you'll notice the same thing. This is exactly what happens when Jesus calls us to be disciples. As they were in chapter 2 of Mark, verse 13, he went out again by the seashore, and all the multitudes were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, which is Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Follow me. A disciple is one who is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Isn't that a valid question? What is a follower of Christ? What is a disciple. I want to give you just two thoughts related to being a follower, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Two simple thoughts. Number one, a follower is one who understands that he is called to absolute obedience to Christ. Obedience. In Matthew's gospel where Jesus comes to the end of his life in Matthew chapter 28, a very, very familiar passage. I'm sure that every single one of us in this room have read it, understand it, have heard it preached on. But oftentimes familiarity will breed forgetfulness, or even contempt at times. And so I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 28 and look at very carefully what Jesus called uh, disciples to be. And this is a call, this is a, uh, a command that as we are going out, we are to be making disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, known well. Jesus says, this, as he comes to the end of his life, he speaks to his disciples, and he says, picking up with verse 19, as you are going, please notice that is not a command to go. 
It's an assumption. Jesus assumes that disciples are going to be going. That's an assumption of the life of every person who comes into the relationship with Christ as Savior at that very moment. There is instilled within every one of us through the Holy Spirit that we are going to be going. We are going to be moving out. And so when Jesus says to his disciples here, as you are going, I assume that that's going to be true of his disciples, and we have to assume it has to be true of us today, beloved. But he said, as you are going, here's the command, make disciples. Now, in this calling people into a relationship with Jesus Christ as a follower of Christ, I think that is directly related to the salvation experience. This is a call to go out to fish for, for men and women, boys and girls. It's a call to go out and say to them, come to Christ. But in coming to Christ, we are calling them to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. And as a committed follower, there are two things that Jesus says we are to do. Look at what he clearly said. You know it, but put your eyes on the page. First of all, he says, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. Number one, baptize them. Oh, hallelujah. I, I stand right, be I understand right behind me on this uh, floor, there is a baptism tank, and it excites me to know that when people get saved at Valley Bible Church over the many, many years, when people get saved here, you want to bring them into the waters of baptism because that's the place where they are making a public declaration, I am now a follower of Christ. I am now a disciple of Jesus Christ, and it is in this baptismal tank that you are, they are saying to you as they go into the waters of baptism, I'm declaring to you, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. But not only are we to baptize them, but notice, he says we are to teach them. Oh, baptize them. Teach them. But what are you to teach them? To observe. To observe all that I commanded you. Beloved, that's a call to obedience. Teach them to be obedient to everything that I have commanded you to do. That is discipleship. If you're here this morning and you say, yes, I have received Christ, I know that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, I boldly proclaim before you this morning, are you walking in obedience to what Jesus Christ has asked you to do? Are you walking in obedience? Discipleship calls us to that. It's not that, well, I might, or if it feels good or if it doesn't crimp my style, or if it doesn't go against what I personally think. No, it's a call to obedience. Jesus was teaching his disciples one day, and he was talking to them about 
the man who built his house upon a rock and a man who built his house upon the sand. This is actually found in Matthew chapter 27. I mean chapter 7. So you're in Matthew. Go quickly over to Matthew 7. I, I was raised in Sunday school. I wasn't saved until I was 22, but so I know what uh, it means to fake it, folks. I really do. I know what it means to grow up in a church and fake it the whole way. I was not saved until I was 22 years old. I could tell the language. I could speak the language. Oh, I would say if somebody asked me, are you, are you a disciple of Oh, absolutely, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. But there was one thing that was absolutely lacking in my life, and that is no willingness to be obedient to what Jesus Christ called me to be. I was not a disciple. And so I used to sing this little song, the wise man built his house upon a rock, the foolish man built his house. I knew it. I could sing it. Until one day, as I was studying this passage, I realized what it was really saying. This, isn't talking about, this is talking about the Word of God. Look at here, Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verses 24 to 27. You know it well, but please see exactly what he said. He said in verse 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, and look at the next phrase, and acts upon them. Mark that, will you? Mark that. Everyone who hears the word and acts upon them. That's the key. It is to hear the word and to act upon it. That's obedience. So this is a call to obedience to the word of God. And Jesus goes on to say that everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. By the way, the, the rock there, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want your pastor to get mad at me. Oh, uh, by no way. But the rock there, I do not believe it's Jesus Christ. I believe it is the word of God that speaks of Jesus Christ. And so when he says there that we are to build, that the wise man is one who hears the word of God as it's proclaimed and then walks in obedience, is building his house upon the solid foundation of the word of God that represents Christ. And so he goes on. And says, if you want to be a wise man, then walk in obedience to the word. If you want to be a foolish person, hear the word, but don't act upon it, and you will be like the man who built his house upon the sand. And the cares of life will come, and the difficulties of life will pursue, and troubles will be all around about you. And I guarantee you, if you will hear the word and not act upon the word, it will only cause you to be as a foolish individual and your life will be shambles. It is only the one who says, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and, a, and to follow Christ means I walk in absolute obedience to him. Therefore, your life will be 
built upon the solid rock of the word of God that will honor and give praise to Christ Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Are you hearing me this morning? I trust that you are. So the first thing that we see is following means absolute obedience to what God says. And as I put there, it is an obedience that refuses to make excuses. Remember the three guys at the end of Luke 9? Remember those three guys? Two of them said, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll go. The other one said, hey, Jesus said to him, hey, come on, come on, come on, follow me. Every one of them in the call to follow made excuses. First of all, oh, man, I don't know. Uh, Jesus said, "You uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I'm not so sure about this. I thought following Jesus was Hilton all the way. No, it's a park bench. It could very well be a park bench. And the guy said, no, I, I, I thought it was going to be Hilton. I thought it was going to be Marriott. I thought it was going to be the, the best. Jesus said, no. But do you notice that every one of them made excuses when they were called to follow? Beloved, oh, beloved, hear me. True discipleship says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am absolutely committed to him. I am not a flexitarian. I am committed to him, and that means I walk in obedience to his word. That's discipleship. Only you know what's going on in your heart this morning. Only you know the reality of your obedience to Christ. I... Uh, I didn't share this in the first service, so you get the, the benefit of it. I came across an, an article on the web. And this article on the web um, was quite enlightening. Talked about a website called ChristianMingles.com. I'm not here to criticize ChristianMingles.com. But this particular says that people who frequent the ChristianMingles.com between the ages of, of actually 18 to 59. Now, that's a pretty broad spectrum, 18 to 59. And they, um, uh, would you have sex before marriage? Now, ChristianMingle.com is supposed to be a what? Christian website. It's supposed to be. Question was asked. Would you have sex before marriage? Market. 69% of those that respond said, absolutely. Uh, something's not right with this picture. Something's not right with this picture. In fact, this article goes on to say this. To say that professing self-described Christians are becoming more liberal means that their reference point for assessing the practical morality of their life has been a, has, has, is more cultural 
and personal rather than biblical and, uh, and spiritual. And it was asked, why would you do this? Well, because that's my personal desire. That's my right. Doesn't everybody do it? And the answer is, for a disciple of Jesus Christ, no. Not everybody is doing it. I came across, as I was driving up here, I didn't share this in the first service. Aren't you glad you came to the second service? As I was driving up here, I, one of my good friends sent me an email, and in it was a post, and I'm not going to disclose the information as to who this is referring to. But it's the wife of a very, very prominent TV, TV guy. I hate to call him an evangelist because I think that would be a misnomer. But, but this is a very popular TV guy, and, th and his wife says this. This is a quote from her on public television. Now listen. Do good for your own self because obedience, the church, and worship are not for God as much as for self-happiness. Let me read that again. I hope it shocks you. This, is, this woman said this. Do good for yourself because obedience to the church and worship are not for God as much as for self-happiness. She goes on to say, I just want you, I want to encourage every one of us to realize um, when, when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way that you can look at it, but we're doing it for for uh, ourselves because God takes pleasure when we focus on ourselves and we are happy. And then she says this, that's the, that's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. Beloved, when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about not drawing and focusing upon ourselves we are talking upon focusing upon him and walking in absolute obedience to him. I, I, I quickly, I'll move on. You say hallelujah for that. Please do, okay? Yeah. The second thing, not only is, it a, a, is discipleship a call to obedience, but secondly, it is a call to a single-minded devotion to Christ as Lord. It's a call to a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ as the absolute Lord over our life. Come back, if you will, to Luke's gospel. If I get a little passionate, forgive me. I learned it from your pastor. All right? Luke chapter 9 again. I want you to see three things as we wrap up. This message, Luke 9, and step in with me at verse 23 one more time. Notice that Jesus said, as he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me. By the way, that little word, if, comes from a construction within the Greek language that means it's a fact. This isn't doubtful. This is a statement of a reality. 
And Jesus is saying, as he looks at these people, looks them directly in the eyes, and since it is, is since it is that you want to follow me, I'm not putting any doubt there at all, you want to follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says, let me give you three very clear things. He says, first of all, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him first deny himself. Let him first deny himself. And so a disciple, a disciple is one who says no to self, and a disciple does not have to say, I want to have it my way, but rather I want it to be Jesus' way or no way. I'm sorry, Burger King theology is no good. Have it your way, and discipleship is not in the picture. That might be fine for selling hamburgers, but it is not fine for a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple says, I want it his way. I want it his way alone. It is not my way. There is an absolute devotion of single-mindedness to the lordship of Jesus Christ in his life. In fact, we can go on to say this. A disciple is not one who is finding myself but is dying or denying myself. Isn't that what Jesus said? Let him deny himself. I don't want to step on any toes, but I probably will. Is that all right, Phil? I am absolutely sick. I've been a pastor for over 40 years. Not quite as long as Phil, but I'm older than he is. I got a later start. I got to say to you, beloved, I really say to you, I say this to my people, I say it to Valley Bible. I am absolutely sick of hearing individuals who are going through difficult situations in their life. Let me take marriage, for example. And they have to say, I have to get out of my marriage relationship because I have to find myself. Give me a break. A disciple is not one who is saying, I am finding myself. Oh, let me say with you clearly, a disciple is one who is dying to self, who is denying self, and is committed absolutely to the word of God, to walk in obedience to God's word and say what Jesus says, that is what I will do. And I will say no to my own desires, but I will say yes to his desires. And beloved, he does not call us to do this in, the, in our own self. He calls us to do it because he has literally placed his Holy Spirit, God, lives within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and he never calls us to do anything that he does not enable us to do. And so when we say, wait a minute, I've got to find myself. <laughs> I really have to find myself. Jesus says, are you following me? Come on now, are you following me? If you really are, you will deny yourself. You will not say, I've got to find myself. 
or I have it my way. Oh, that is so important. It was Jim Elliott who was a missionary, a missionary to the Aka Indians and lost his life down in Ecuador. Some of you might know. How many of you know about Jim Elliott? A good portion of you do. Jim Elliott was a wonderful, wonderful man of God. In his diary, Jim Elliott wrote these words. He said this, Father, let me be weak that I might lose my clutch on everything temporal. My life, my reputation, my possessions. Lord, let me lose the tension of the grasping hand. Even, Father, would, you, would I lose the love of fondling. He goes on to say, how often I have released my grip only to retain what I prize by, quote, harmless longing, the fondling touch. Rather, open my hand to receive the nail of Calvary as Christ was open, that I, releasing all, might be released, unleashed from all that binds me now, he, that is Christ, dot heaven, yea, equality with God, not a thing to be grasped or to be clutched at. So let me, let me release my grasp. Let me release my grasp. That's the heart of a true disciple. That's the heart of a man that says, I don't have to have it my way. I don't have to have everything I want, but I do want those things that Jesus wants me to have. That's discipleship, beloved. The second thing, very quickly, the second thing that you see here in this text is not only are we to deny ourselves, but notice he says we are to die to self. We are to take up our cross daily. And that's clearly what he said. Let him deny himself and take up the cross daily. Now, i got to remind you, when it says take up the cross daily, he's not saying reach into your jewelry box and take out this beautiful cross, this gold cross, and hang it around your neck, hang it on your ears, or wherever else you might want to hang it, in your nose or wherever else, you know. He's not saying, reach into the jewelry box, take up a gold piece of, of, of jewelry and put it on your body. If you understand anything about what Jesus was saying, when he made that statement, he made a statement to people that saw on a very daily basis the crosses that were there lined up upon the hillside or the crosses along the roadway where people had carried the cross, and eventually Jesus Christ was going to go to the cross. But he says, look at those crosses, and in every single case, beloved, the cross was not a place of beauty. The cross was a place of death. People died on the cross. The cross was an emblem of those who gave their lives, not voluntarily. And so when Jesus says here, deny yourself and take up your cross on a day-by-day -day basis, it means die to self. Self is no longer in control. 
I am letting Jesus Christ be the absolute controller of my life in every way. It was C.S. Lewis. And if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was the man that really gave up his life um, in a Nazi prison camp. I'm sorry, it was not C.S. Lewis, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. C.S. Lewis was a man that was an atheist and came to Christ, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just prior to that, I think I, I had a quote there at the very bottom of that, didn't I? I did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gave up his life as a pastor in a, in a Nazi Ger German Nazi camp, he died because he would not bow the knee to Hitler. He stood firm to the word of God. He, would, he absolutely would not give in. Jesus Christ was the one he would follow and no other and gave his life. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. When, God, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. C.S. Lewis, who was the atheist who was saved, wrote a wonderful book called Mere Christianity and what a radical transformation that took place in C.S. Lewis's life. At one time, he was walking away from God, had nothing to do with God. God, God did the work. He stepped into C.S. Lewis's life, drew him unto himself. He was gloriously regenerated by the Spirit of God. He was saved. His whole life was transformed. And this is what C.S. Lewis wrote. Christ says, give me all. Give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it. I want it out. That's a call to discipleship. It's a call that simply says, Christ is all. I'm out of the way. I will walk in obedience to him. I will deny self. I will die to self. Isn't that radical today? That's so radical today. We are in such a narcissistic society that says, I want it my way. I want it to do it. I deserve it and all of that. Jesus Christ says, it's not your way. It is my way. I want you to die to self. And then lastly, I will share with you, and that's simply this, simply this, and that is number three. Not only deny self, not only take up your cross daily, die to self, but number three, follow me. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, follow me, before he says, deny self and deny self and die to self. By the way, that can only be done through the work of regeneration. can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, now, follow me. And the idea there is to keep on continually following me. This is not a stop and start exercise. Not at all. 
It is a commitment to perseverance and notice who is leading. It is not you. It is Jesus Christ. Can I give you an observation as I wrap up my message? You say, yeah, I'm going to get it anyway. So, yeah, you might as well say, yeah. I Let me give you an observation. Here is discipleship. I'm going to describe discipleship in America today. See if I'm right. Discipleship in America today is, oh, yes, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so come on, Jesus, come on. I'll invite you to come. And I, I, what I want you to do is I want you to walk right here beside me. I just really want you to walk beside me because, hey, I've got some goals. I've got some aspirations. I've got some desire. I've got some perspective. And Jesus, I'm going in that direction. But come on, walk beside me, and you be my help. You be my, my encourager. You be my sustainer. You, you're right there beside me. Beloved, that is not biblical discipleship. Discipleship says this, Jesus, you are there, and I am following in your steps, and wherever you lead, wherever you go, I am following you step by step by step. Yes, it's wonderful to know that Jesus Christ is beside us, that Jesus Christ is there with us at every single time, and he has promised, I will never leave you or, or forsake you. Those are wonderful promises. But, beloved, discipleship says, he is leading, I am following, and I will go where he wants me to go. I leave you with a question. I leave you with a question. Where will he lead his disciples? Geographically, I don't know. I don't know where he will lead each one of you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But it, let him lead. It could very well be and probably is true that he will say, I've got you right where I want you to be. Now, right there, right where I have you, whatever your job is, whatever your neighborhood you live in, whatever ma your marital situation, I have you right there. That's exactly where I want you to be geographically now. Go out and be, uh, be, be uh, fishers of men. Be makers of discipleship, right, disciples right there in that situation. Beloved, consider the place of your employment as the greatest mission field that you have on the face of the earth. You see, employment is simply not to earn a living. Employment is your mission field where, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, he wants you to be fishing for men and for women. Use it as a place of evangelism. Use it as a place where Jesus Christ is radiated forth from your life as a true disciple because you are committed to him and to his word. It may be that God says, I want you to stay exactly where you're at. Be my disciple and go out and fish for men. It could be that he may say, no, I want you to go to the 
a mission field. It could mean that he wants you to go to another state. It might mean that he wants you to go to another job. It may mean any of those things, but the question I ask, who's leading? Is it you? Or are you in prayer? Are you seeking Jesus Christ and God and saying, lead me wherever you want to go and allow him to do that? For me in my life, it meant leaving a wonderful ministry in Pleasant Hill, California, where I was there for many, many years, to go down to the desert. Hot, hot desert. We have a saying on the desert that Hades, you know what Hades is? Another word for hell. Hades is not even a toll call. That's our, that's our motto. Why? Because it's so hot. But I'll tell you what, folks. Hades may not be a toe call from the desert, but I'll tell you what, I'm not looking forward in any way to Hades or hell because I am secure in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. So I don't know. Every single one of the disciples that Jesus Christ called unto himself went to die a, a, a martyr's death except John. And how many multitudes of others have died a martyr's death because they have said, I am an absolute, fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. But I will say, I can guarantee you this, that if you will follow Jesus Christ as a committed disciple, and I can say spiritually, he will take you into deeper intimacy with himself through his word. He will also take you into a deeper intimacy with you with himself in prayer. He will take you into a deeper fellowship and relationship with other believers. He will take you into a greater compassion for the lost and a zeal to see them saved. Oh, he will say, you will say with Jesus Christ, I want to be a fisher of men. He will take you into a, a deeper life of holiness, not worldliness. And he will take you into a God-glorifying worship and praise. I can guarantee those things. If you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ in obedience to the word of God, committed absolutely to him and not to yourself, every single one of those things are true. And that will be a reality within your life. I can promise that. Father, I pray. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the truth of the word that I've tried to communicate this morning. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Abba, Father. Do a work. Do a work, oh God. Let the power of your Holy Spirit do a work working into us not only an understanding of genuine discipleship but Father also those who are absolutely committed unwaveringly to following Jesus Christ in every aspect of their life. I pray in Jesus name. And amen.
hope you've been blessed both by Kevin and by Pastor Finch. Stand with me for prayer, prayer of dismissal. And uh, next week, all the kids ought to be in school. All the vacationing ought to be over. And we start a new fall season going fast and furious and some wonderful things. But thanks be to God he met with us today. Our Father, take us with your divine blessing. Lead us, guide us, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.